Understand that in every miracle that Christ performed, the Holy Spirit was testifying as to the authenticity concerning Christ, his claim to be Messiah. But the Pharisees did not receive the Holy Spirit's witness at all. In other words, every time Jesus did a miracle, the Holy Spirit was saying, see, he is the Messiah. Only the Messiah can do this. And the Pharisees saw this. They saw many of the miracles. They didn't deny the miraculous. They just denied that, that, that this was the authenticity of Christ's claim to be Messiah. And so they didn't receive the Holy Spirit's witness at all. They just continued to reject the Spirit's ongoing testimony until their hearts became so hardened to the truth that they actually blasphemed the Holy Spirit by viciously accusing Jesus of being Satanic. It was a blaspheming against the Holy Spirit's witness concerning Christ. In other words, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was the sin of a final and a permanent rejection of Jesus Christ evidenced by speaking against the testimony that the Holy Spirit gave about him. verse-by-verse broadcast, we will be in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, where in part Jesus said, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. In these verses, the Lord Jesus informs us that the words we speak are extremely important, so important that he tells us that we will actually be held accountable for every word that we say. Our words will actually be the basis for judgment. Those are some pretty heavy words, heavy truths. Here's the question. Why does Matthew find it important to record these specific words right here in this gospel? You realize that no other gospel writer records those words of Jesus? This is the only place in the four gospels that these words are mentioned. The question is why. Let's find out on today's verse-by-verse broadcast. Well, let's open our Bibles once again to the Gospel of Matthew as we continue in this marvelous book, making our way through it verse-by-verse, trying to understand the meaning of the text and then applying the text to our lives. Matthew chapter 12, and I want to read to you, though we won't cover all of this passage, but it is one unit of thought. I want to read to you verses 33 through 37. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, in these verses, the Lord Jesus informs us that the words that we speak are extremely Important, So important that he tells us that we will actually be held accountable for every word that we say. So important that he tells us that our words will be the basis for judgment, whether we will be condemned before God or justified 
before him. So that's some pretty heavy truths. That's some pretty important um, truths and things to say about our words. question is, why does Matthew find it important to record these specific words right here in his gospel? Do you realize that no other gospel writer records these words of Jesus? This is the only place in the four gospels that these words are mentioned. The question is, why? Well, this is where we put things together as we go verse by verse through the Bible. You will recall from our last study in the Gospel of Matthew that the previous passage revealed that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, had committed what Jesus entitled the unpardonable sin, the sin that that will not be forgiven by God. We see that in verses 31 and 32. That's where we left off. He said to the Pharisees, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's himself, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, the Lord said those words in response to the wicked and blasphemous charge leveled against him by the Pharisees that he was an imposter, a fake, that he was not the real Messiah, he was not the real king. In fact, they said that he's doing the devil's work. Not only is he not from God, they said, he's not even neutral. He's satanic. The passage tells us that after observing Jesus perform many miracles, the Pharisees had a conclusion. And their conclusion was that Jesus did these miracles by the power of Satan. That's what they concluded. And in coming to this conclusion about the Lord, the Pharisees reveal something very significant about themselves. By charging Jesus with being satanic, these men indicated that they had made, and note this, a final and an irreversible rejection of the Holy Spirit's witness about Jesus Christ. Understand that in every miracle that Christ performed, the Holy Spirit was testifying as to the authenticity concerning Christ, his claim to be Messiah. But the Pharisees did not receive the Holy Spirit's witness at all. In other words, every time Jesus did a miracle, the Holy Spirit was saying, see... He is the Messiah. Only the Messiah can do this. And the Pharisees saw this. They saw many of the miracles. They didn't deny the miraculous. They just denied that 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 this was the authenticity of Christ's claim to be Messiah. And so they didn't receive the Holy Spirit's witness at all. They just continued to reject the Spirit's ongoing testimony until their hearts became so hardened to the truth that they actually blasphemed the Holy Spirit by viciously accusing Jesus of being Satanic. It was a blaspheming against the Holy Spirit's witness concerning Christ. In other words, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was the sin of a final and a permanent rejection of Jesus Christ evidenced by speaking against the testimony that the Holy Spirit gave about him. So in rejecting all that the Spirit was testifying to them, these men came to a point in their lives, watch this, where they conclusively and permanently made up their minds that Jesus was not and could not, they said, be the Messiah. So this was their final verdict. This was their final decision, and this was their final conclusion about Christ. There would be no changing their minds, and that's why Jesus said that they would never be 
forgiven. Because it was so obvious by their verbal assault against him that their hearts were so resistant and so hardened to the truth that despite all the evidence provided by the Spirit, they would never repent of their sin and believe in Christ. And that's why they would never be forgiven. Because the only ones who receive divine forgiveness are those who repent and trust Christ as Lord and Savior. And these men were past the point of no return. Past the point of no return. Jesus said that there would be no forgiveness for them because he knew they would never believe upon him. They were that hardened in their hearts. So, keep in mind, it was right after telling them the eternal consequence of their decision to permanently reject him that Jesus now launches into a discourse on the importance of the words that we speak. Why? Because, watch this, the only sin that God ever declared to be unpardonable was a sin of speech. In other words, the Lord is telling these men why they accused him, why they blasphemed, why they spoke like this against him. He's explaining to them. So Jesus follows up his statement on their verbal sin of blasphemy by explaining to the Pharisees why they spoke such blasphemous words to them. As one Bible teacher put it, the most self-damning words ever spoken had just been uttered by the religious leaders. So the Lord is explaining, this is really a continuation of his message to them about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's explaining why they said what they said. Now, you and I may not be guilty of this particular sin. In fact, we're not guilty of this particular sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to the area of speech, we are very susceptible to sin with the words that we say, don't we? So this is very relevant for us. This is not simply a message directed only to the Pharisees. It is it is directed to them, but it's broader than that because it tells us about our words that we speak. And we do sin. By our words. And the potential for sinning with our mouths is enormous because most of us talk a great deal, don't we? Far more than we probably should. In fact, do you realize that the average person spends at least one-fifth of his life talking? Which means that the average person spends at least 13 years of his life talking. No wonder we're exhausted most of the time. We're talking too much. Those are a lot of words. In fact, most of us speak enough words in a single day to fill a 50-page book. And in one year's time, the average person's words would fill, note this, 132 books, each containing 400 pages. Now, I don't know who in the world would read that, but that's what the statistics are. Maybe someone who wants to fall asleep quickly would read those. But with all those words gushing forth from our mouths, it is not hard to understand the likelihood of us sinning by our words. And we all do. And we do it a lot. James chapter 3 verse 2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, meaning we all, we all sin in, in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. James is saying that everyone sins by their speech, otherwise we would be perfect. Otherwise we would be perfect, and we're not. With our words we sin by lying, by deceiving, by being misleading. We exaggerate and distort the truth at times. We gossip, we slander, we put others down. We can crush people with our words. We express anger with our words, impatience with our words, we curse with our words, we blaspheme with our words, and so much more. Our words can really be quite poisonous. Listen, if we, if we just talked less, we would eliminate a number of sins from our lives. No wonder Proverbs 17.28 says, Even a fool, when he keeps silence, is considered wise. They may not be wise, but at least he looks wise. 
He's, he's no longer talking. Just to refrain and restrain from talking gives the appearance, Proverbs is saying, of being wise, even if you're not. So the opportunities to sin with our words are enormous. Therefore, what Jesus has to say about the words we, we speak, vitally important to all of us. And these verses in Matthew 12, in these verses here, he specifically tells us why our words are so important. See, in telling the Pharisees about their sin, their particular sin of speaking against him and against the Holy Spirit, in doing that, Jesus was explaining to them why they spoke the way they spoke. However, this passage is broader than that. Jesus broadened it out in his teaching to go beyond the Pharisees by telling all of us, in principle, why our speech matters so much. And he does this by giving two reasons our words are so important. Now, We're going to look at one reason why our words are important this week, and Lord willing, next week we'll look at the second reason our words are so important. So to begin, let's get into the text and see the first reason that Jesus tells us our words are so important. It's it's because our words reveal our character. They reveal the real you. Verse 33, he said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree, Jesus said, is known by its fruit. The Lord begins this section by using the imagery of a tree and its fruit to state a very general, broad principle of life. He tells us to consider the fact that a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad, or he means decaying, tree produces rotten fruit. Every tree, Jesus said, is known as either good or bad, and it's known that way on the basis of the fruit that the tree produces. Now, that's not a hard concept to understand. You don't have to be a farmer to grasp this basic truth from the world of agriculture. Good trees produce good fruit, fruits that are edible and healthy for you, and bad trees produce bad fruits, fruit that would be unfit for human Consumption. In other words, the Lord is saying that the quality of the fruit will only be like the tree it comes from. If it's a good tree, then it'll produce good fruit. Bad tree, it'll produce bad fruit. Now, the intent of the Lord was not to give us a lesson on farming or agriculture. He only used the imagery of trees and fruit to communicate a very important truth about people, about us. And it's this. The words that we speak are like fruit Produced by a tree because our words reveal what we are really like. Our words reveal our true inward character. Keep in mind that I don't want anyone to be confused by this. The Bible uses the term fruit in a variety of ways. And the Bible uses the term fruit to speak of any number of spiritual realities that our lives produce. And you have to see the context to see how the Bible writer is using the word fruit. For example... Sometimes the Bible uses the word fruit to speak of godly works that flow from a life that's been transformed. For example, in Matthew 3, 8, John the Baptist told the Pharisees and and Sadducees, some of the religious leaders of Israel who came to him for baptism, he said, you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He was actually condemning them because they had not repented. And he was talking about there ought to be, if you truly have repented, there ought to be a change in your life. You ought to be producing godly works known as fruit. Sometimes the Bible uses fruit to speak of godly, not just works, but attitudes. Attitudes. Galatians 5, Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
words and attitudes like that. Sometimes fruit is a reference to our teaching, our doctrine. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 6 when, when in connection with false teachers, he said that you would know them by their fruits, meaning their doctrine, their teaching, what comes out of them. And Paul even used fruit in Romans one thirteen to speak of converts. He told the church at Rome that he, he had hoped to come to them soon to obtain some fruit among them, meaning in that setting, Gentile converts. But here in Matthew chapter 12, the Lord is not talking about attitudes. He's not talking even about actions. He's, he's talking about the words that are produced that from us, that come from our lips, which reveal the true character of our lives. And we know this is precisely what he is talking about, because in the very next verse, Jesus applies this concept of the fruit of our lips to the Pharisees who accused him of being satanic, who verbally accused him. Notice verse 34. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, Speak what is good, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So here, instead of referring to the Pharisees as a group of bad trees, which he could have very easily have done, and they would have understood this, Jesus now changes the metaphor and calls them a brood of vipers. This is actually the very same expression that John the Baptist used in describing the unrepentant Pharisees and Sadducees when they came to him for baptism. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Jesus will also use the same expression to refer once again to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 33, when he gives them a, a whole a whole litany of words telling them, woe to you Pharisees, and he calls them a brood of vipers. Now the question is, what did the Lord mean by this expression, brood of vipers? We, we, that, that sounds very foreign to our ears. And then why did the Lord describe the Pharisees this way? Why not bad trees? What was he saying? Well, let's let's look at this. Let's analyze it. The word brood simply means offspring, generation or offspring. And a viper was a general reference for any number of poisonous snakes indigenous to that region of the world. The region of the world being the what we call the Middle East, but really the Mediterranean Area. These snakes were extremely dangerous, and not only because their bite often and most of the time resulted in death, but also because their attack came as a complete surprise to their victims since they, these snakes tended to blend into the rocks and sticks. And, and you might gather some sticks and not even realize that a viper was in those pile of sticks, you pick them up and you would get bit. In fact, this is precisely what happened to the Apostle Paul. Let me show you this in Acts chapter 28. Paul is uh, on a ship that uh, comes into a fierce storm. The ship is destroyed. He's coming to Rome as a prisoner. And he and everybody else on the ship now is is uh, now sort of marooned on the island of Malta. That's where he is now. Malta is an island, a nation actually, just south of Italy, of Sicily. And that's where Paul is. And it says in verse 2, the natives, Acts 28 verse 2, the natives showed us, Luke tells us, extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. Now, what is Paul doing? 
in all this. He's not sitting back saying, I'm the great apostle Paul, serve me. It says in verse 3, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, so there's Paul working and helping and, and being useful. He had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. A viper came out, a little snake, because of the heat and fastened itself on his hands. So you understand, he picks up these sticks, he doesn't realize it, the viper blended in, he gets bit. They thought he was going to die, verse 3, but when, it said verse 4 rather, when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to survive. So they think he's going to die. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. The verse goes on, to say that now they thought he was a god. So he was neither guilty nor was he a god, but the point that I'm illustrating for you is that that's that's why those vipers were so dangerous. They were poisonous. People who got bit by them usually died, and they were deceptive. You didn't know where they were because they blended in so well. Now, in light of that, understand that Jesus is telling the Pharisees, who had just accused him of being satanic, that they were like those deadly, deceptive little snakes. They were poisoning the minds of the people with their theological errors, turning them against Christ by accusing him of being a false messiah and an ambassador of Satan. They were like, and, and here's the imagery, a brood of Baby snakes, just picture it in your mind, emerging from the eggs of a mother snake. All these little snakes, now let's, let's imagine your minds, they're on a beach somewhere. They are emerging, they, they crack open the eggs, and then they scurry off in all different directions. Why? To inflict harm upon unsuspecting people. Jesus said you are exactly like that. You're like a brood, offspring of, of snakes. They deceived the Jewish community into thinking that they were good men who should be revered, pious men who should be listened to and deeply respected. But in reality, they were evil men, poisoning, polluting everyone they came in contact with with their deadly words of religious legalism and anti-biblical tradition. Jesus said, that's what you're like. Here's how one Bible teacher explained the damage done by these wicked men in their false teaching. This isn't a neutral issue, folks. These were evil, wicked men, and you'll understand that's why Jesus spoke so harshly to them. Here's what one writer said. Their unbiblical, legalistic traditions poisoned the minds of fellow Jews against the pure and redeeming truth of God's word, and their hypocritical self-righteousness led countless others into that same evil attitude. When someone reached into the woodpile of religion, thinking to pick up a stick of truth, he could be bitten to death by those soul-damning liars. That's precisely why Jesus said, what he said. No wonder the Lord reserved such harsh language for these men because the damage they inflicted upon unsuspecting souls was almost beyond belief. You know how bad it was? In Matthew 23, Jesus spoke of the deadly damage done by these men as they scampered around and, and tried to lead Gentiles into their belief system. Here's what he said. Listen to this. Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. They would travel all over the Mediterranean just to make one proselyte, he said. It means a Gentile convert to Judaism. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Now he's talking about rabbinical Judaism, not biblical Judaism. 
you, you would travel anywhere to make one Gentile convert to your way of thinking and you have now condemned him beyond what he was even condemned because now, now he has embraced your legalistic traditional system which is anti-biblical. As we learn on today's program, the words that we speak are like fruit produced by a tree. That is, our words reveal our true inward character. It might be comforting to us when Jesus applied that concept of the fruit of our lips to the Pharisees after they accused him of being satanic. He called them a brood of vipers. It's always easy when someone who obviously was evil gets called down for their sinful behavior. While we might want to cheer and encourage Jesus to keep after the Pharisees, this passage of scripture was given to us so that we would examine ourselves and our words. That's when this passage becomes shall we say, sobering. We have more to learn in Matthew chapter 12 in our next verse-by-verse broadcast with Pastor Steve Kreloff. However, before we finish today, I would like to remind you of the verse-by-verse podcast, which is available at versebyverseradio.org. You can surf over there, click the podcast link, and sign up for the verse-by-verse podcast. Again, that's versebyverseradio.org. Verse-by-verse